yo, yo. Welcome to episode number 20 of the Basketball Card Podcast. I am your host, The 27 Guy. Thank you again for downloading the podcast. It's been an incredible uh, week in basketball and for the history of basketball. Um, and so let's get right into it. Um, I think we're going to spend the majority of this episode today talking about uh, Game 7, the finals in general, and the legacy of LeBron James, uh, because that's the most important stuff that we have to talk about right now. It's a little bit funny. I wish we had an entire episode to devote to the draft as well, which is, uh, I'm recording this on Tuesday night, as I, as I always do. And the draft is less than 48 hours away, and I would have loved to, to do a show on that, but uh, life's crazy, and I haven't been able to find time to, to do that. But I might hit you with a few thoughts uh, at the very end. But let's get right to it. Uh, the series was incredible, and I was dead wrong about what I thought would happen. I thought that Golden State would win in five, and... Uh, compared Cleveland to a Boise State type team that had to play such inferior inferior competition that it was hard to evaluate whether they were as good as Oklahoma, and it turned out they were as good as Oklahoma. Uh, you've got to give them an awful lot of credit for that. I think the Warriors did an excellent job of losing in with grace at the end of the game at the end uh, and saying how it was. They were uh, very good about saying that they were the better, that the Cavs were the better team and that they had played better. They didn't make excuses. And um, I, th- I, thought, I thought that was the right way to be. But it's easy to also kind of see where the series was after four games. Definitely looked like it was over. And then LeBron James made the play of the series when he stepped over Draymond Green and he baited him and Draymond Green's hand came up a little bit too fast and in the wrong place and it was bad and I, I'm a believer that the NBA made, made the right decision and I'm, a, I'm even a bigger believer that LeBron James made the right decision. That was one of the biggest plays of his career and no one will talk about that but he baited Draymond into making that play and you just can't give him enough credit for that. It was a great Great, great move by LeBron. Um, so then we get to Game 5. And Game 5, uh, we talked about in last week's episode, Game 5 was awesome. LeBron was incredible for three and a half quarters, and then Kyrie went off in a way that I had never seen him do, uh, where in, on about four possessions he scored and just took over. Kyrie was obviously the best point guard in the series, which is certainly something that we wouldn't have guessed going into the series. He scored 30, I think, in five games, four or five games. He obviously hit the shot in the end of Game 7, but he he was incredible at the end of of Game 5. And then Game 6 was really just a rout. I think the score was 9-33 at one point, and the game never got closer than, I think, 8 which is really, like, that's a, that's a blowout. So um, Cleveland was able to hold on to the lead there, and, and, and it, I think it ended up at around 18 or, or 15 or something like that, but it was never really close. 
and that set the stage for a perfect Game 7. So the Warriors didn't have Draymond for five, and then they did for six, but the game was in Cleveland, and then they came back to, uh, to Golden State for Game 7. And the odds makers had uh, predicted that Golden State would win, and most people thought Golden State would win. Golden State has been so great with their backs against the wall. But there were a few really important things to consider. The first was, uh, and, and there was a thread about this on Blowout, the first really important thing to consider is one of the main rotation bigs for Golden State, Andrew Bogut, was injured and was unable to play. And people were kind of on two sides of this argument. I was on the side, and and I think this turned out to be true, where I said, you know, you've got... Bogut plays between 10 and 18 minutes a game. It's not a huge, huge amount. Until you consider where that 10 to 18 minutes goes, the only place that that could go is either to other reserves or spread out amongst the starters. And when you and however you however you do it, it's not going to turn out well. Bogut is one of the best screen setters in the league. Very important defensively, and a whole lot better than Anderson Barrojao uh, or Spates um, or most Spates, and uh, does different things obviously as well. So they missed him a lot, and uh, I I knew that they would. Keep in mind, I was rooting for Cleveland and all of this, by the way. Um, I, I wanted Cleveland to win, and I was screaming at the TV when they did win. But um, great, uh, they, they missed, they definitely missed Bogut. So that's one, one thing to look at. The next thing to look at is Draymond Green, I think, was in an interesting place emotionally. And you've got to give him a lot of credit because his first half was unbelievable. And I can't stand that guy. He drives me crazy. But he came out, and he was unbelievable in the first half. He wasn't as good in the second half, but he didn't have a bad second half either. Um, the game was close throughout, obviously. Uh, LeBron James had a uh, triple-double. I think he went 9 of 24 from the field, if I remember right. Maybe 9 of 25. Um, certainly not his, his best shooting night. Uh, but he did have a triple-double. He also had five turnovers. And he had one of the greatest block shots uh, that I've ever seen. And uh, uh, and other than the, the step over Draymond Green that baited him into the flagrant foul, definitely the play that, that was... Probably, probably the most important play of the series. I, when I saw it live, I wondered if it was a, if it was going to be a goal goaltend, but he got there. It, just one of the most amazing plays. He was LeBron was incredible in the series. He was certainly the 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 series MVP. Um, Kyrie hit the big shot um, at the end of the series, and or at, at the very end of the game. And, and one thing that I think is very interesting about this and. We'll kind of pause on the story time real quick and and say this. I think it's very interesting how the narrative changes after the series because Kyrie hits that shot. If Kyrie doesn't hit that shot, the narrative is obviously completely different. Golden State then would have had a chance, I believe, to do a quick two-for-one 
and would have been the favorites at that point to win the game. It felt like they had some momentum, not a lot. Um, they hadn't scored, but they were getting the the Iguodala was was the Iguodala layup was the best look. Yes, LeBron LeBron blocked that. Um, maybe there's nothing to the mom, the momentum thing that might be in my head, but Kyrie Irving hits the biggest shot of the series, the biggest shot of the game, and the biggest shot, obviously, of his life. And it completely changes the narrative because now everyone's talking about the things that Golden State needs to do to be better. That game was a coin flip. And it came down to some very small things. And that was the difference in this series. The difference in this series was basically a coin flip. The block by LeBron, a missed free throw here or there. What if Iguodala hits his free throws with a few minutes to go in the game? He missed both. You know, what if there's just so many things that, that, that could have that could have gone differently? And that's why it's definitely a game of inches. You know, they refer to football as a game of inches, and I think I think in a lot of ways basketball is too. These two teams were just so evenly matched in the end. And like I said, you have to give Cleveland that credit because uh, that's um, that's not what people were saying. But I just I think the, the narrative is interesting because people are saying that Golden State now has to get Durant or they need to make these major changes. And If they were to play seven games again, I would just say, well, is Draymond getting suspended for one game? Oh, he's not? Well, I guess I'll take the Warriors because I think the Warriors are the better team. But like I said, I was really happy that Cleveland um, Cleveland won, won the game. I I had a question from, uh, from a blowout member named Leon. I really like Leon. Uh, talk to him several times about different things in the hobby. I don't know if I've ever bought anything from him. I may have. Um, but he <laughs> he is he is a Cleveland fan and I posted <laughs> it's funny because I was posting about how I wanted Cleveland to win and I started a thread called an ode to um, those Ohio residents out there or something like that. And I wrote about how I was rooting for Cleveland and um, you know, talked about beating LeBron having such an amazing series. And uh, Leon wrote me back like I was a Cleveland hater, which I thought was weird. Um, I, I Again, I, I thought LeBron was the MVP. I thought he did really special things. But I just, I, I'm not a, bla I'm, I'm definitely not a black and white sort of thinker. I'm a very, I like to critically sort of, analyze what's happening and, and not just take the sort of front page headline story at face value and, and, and move with it. And so a lot of the things that are being discussed right now, I don't think are totally accurate. And, I, and, and in watching the games, and I watched all the games and I watched them closely, and I like to think I've got a pretty, pretty critical eye for this, I had a very different view of LeBron than I think a lot of people did. I thought he was unbelievable in game for three and a half quarters of game five. And then I think he, he disappeared a lot toward the end of the game. But it didn't matter because he had Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie Irving is money in that situation. I thought he was incredible in game six. He was incredible defensively throughout the series and was easily the defensive player of the series. And then in game seven, um, I just I don't think he had a great offensive game. 
does that mean that he had a bad game? No. Does it mean that he shouldn't have been the MVP? No. I mean, he should have been the MVP. He was the MVP. He was incredible, and he deserved that. But he didn't play a great offensive game seven. He shot a very inefficient percentage. If, if I, like I said, I think if I remember right, it was nine for 24. And um, not only that, but he was very passive um, in places where it wasn't to get good shots. He took over game five in a way that very few players have ever done. He took the game over, and he's capable of doing that. And sometimes when the moment is there, you can see him feeling the moment and failing. And you would say, well, no, he didn't fail. You're right. He didn't fail. They won. And that's all that matters. He put his team in a situation and he gave Kyrie that chance to hit that shot, right? Like there's no way, you know, does Cleveland even make the playoffs without LeBron? I don't know that they do, right? I mean, he's, he's super important to the team, but in the biggest moment of his career, Game seven with the Cavs. I mean, this is the biggest game of his career. He wasn't great offensively. He was brilliant defensively. He was still the MVP. But I'm not going to act like he had this perfect game when he didn't. And so, and and I think the other thing is, you know, now, and so Leon asked me a question. He said, you know, do you still think LeBron's number eight all time? And I think the the pantheon or the list of all-time greats is a really difficult list to put together. I think um, I think what LeBron did in this series is he really cemented himself. In, in my mind, he cemented himself in that group of people after Jordan. Um, and that that if you look at all of the lists, if you compare all of the lists of the all-time greats, People have very different feelings about that list. I've seen several guys that are listed as high as two and as low as eight. And for me, I hate comparing people who are in the middle of their careers, especially close to their prime, like LeBron is, to a guy like Wilt Chamberlain, who obviously his career's long been passed, and we can we can see what all of his accolades are. I I don't like to think who's the best. I like to think who had the best career. Because we really can't compare who the best is in those terms. Um, I think there are some things that we can measure and some things that we can talk about uh, that I think are, are, are interesting. But I don't think that it's super beneficial for us to say, well, this guy's better than that guy or this guy could beat that guy. Because we live in a different day with different testing and different, um, uh, what am I, not testing, but different ways of, different types of exercise and um, taking care in doctors and medicine and things like that. And so I don't, I think the, be I'm, I'm going on a tangent here, but I think the best thing really to do is to say, okay, who's had the best career? And when I look at LeBron James, Leon, and answer your question, he's one of the greats of all time. He cemented his spot in that in that tier after Jordan in, in this series. And it's not something I expected him to do, but I think it was a huge accomplishment. He's not Jordan. He's not as, he hasn't had the career that Jordan had yet. He hasn't. Jordan is, I believe, fourth all-time NBA in scoring and has something like 8,000 more points than LeBron. 
Um, nope, that's wrong. I'm doing math in my head, and again, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think it's four or 5,000 points more. Uh, Jordan played a lot more years. Even though he took his two years off, uh, LeBron's not as far into his career as, as Jordan, um, as many years as Jordan had. LeBron started a lot earlier, so there's this meme that's going around that shows where they were both at the age of 31. And it, it shows that LeBron at 31 is a superior player to Jordan at 31. And, you know, it's not, it's not really fair when one guy went to college and one guy didn't. One guy played four, I mean, I think, I think LeBron's played four more years at this point, or is it three more years at this point than, than, than Jordan did. That's not a fair way to look at it. You can look at years in the NBA. That might be a fair way to do it. But LeBron's got a lot of miles on those wheels. And it's hard to know how long he'll be great for. He, clearly, he's still great, right? He's still great. He's won four MVPs. He's won three championships. And this was his hallmark championship. This was this is as good as it gets. This was beating the 73-win regular season team and a team that was the foregone champs. Um, this was awesome for him. If I'm making my list, though, I start with Jordan. I go to Kareem. Um, I wrote it down here, actually. I'll take a look at it. So we've got Jordan. I've got Kareem. Uh, shoot, I lost it. Sorry. Um, Russell, I can I can still list it off the top of my head. Jordan, Kareem, Russell, Chamberlain are my top four. I've got Magic. I've got Bird, and then who am I? Who am I forgetting? I'm forgetting one person. I should have paused this a long time ago. Sorry about that. I had to take a second to think about that. I've got Duncan. Um, I've got Duncan ahead of LeBron still too. Again, mostly because of championships. Duncan took, and so so let me give you my rationale on each of them. Real quick, obviously Jordan, six championships, the clear-cut best player on all six. Um, I think fourth all-time NBA in scoring would have been even higher had he not taken multiple hiatuses. Um, Jordan, I think, Jordan's on a different planet from everybody else, and I'm not a Michael Jordan fan, but I think from a historical perspective, it's hard to argue anybody else. Uh, unless you just want to go you know, champions trump all, and then you could go with an, a couple other guys on the list. Uh, Jabbar, the great Luau Cinder, um, led the, you know, is the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. Won, I believe, five or six championships, five or six MVPs. Um, the one knock on Al Cinder, or ch on Jabbar, is that every one of his championships was with a great other player. He might have had one at the beginning of his time with L.A. that wasn't with another great player but um, in, the, in the 70s. But he had his, his championships with the Bucks were with Oscar Robertson, and then he, he later got ones with Magic and with Worthy. And um, those, are, those are great teams, obviously. And so he was put in fortunate places, but the fact that he played for 20 years 
And other than Carl Malone, nobody's even gotten close to his all-time scoring record. Like, we're talking about six, 7,000 points away from, from where he ended up, from guys like Kobe and Jordan and Chamberlain. So he's, he, for me, he, he gets forgotten a lot because people don't like him. They don't like his personality. Um, but if you go back and look at what he actually accomplished, there's no way you can argue LeBron James over Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I, I don't see how you can say he's had a be- he had a better career. It's there's nothing really that's comparable there. I put I put uh, Russell over over LeBron because he won 11 championships. You look at percentages and scoring averages, and uh, they didn't they didn't measure blocks and steals back then. He had incredible rebound numbers, but you look at the, just the numbers, and it's hard to you can you can say, look, LeBron has significantly better numbers. You can also point to the fact that there were so few teams in the NBA when Russell was winning his championships. But eleven is a lot more than three, right? It's not a little bit more; it's a lot more. And he was the leader of those teams, and you know he's who the tr- trophy's named after. Bill Russell is is that guy and it's it's hard to it's hard to um to compare those guys but um from a historical perspective i just don't think i i think you'd put i I would put russell over him will chamberlain averaged 50 points a game and averaged uh high 20s in rebounds he later led the league in assists uh, that may or may not be because he was just want he just wanted to prove that to everybody else that he could do that, but he was dominant. He's the definition of dominant. Only won a couple of championships, so LeBron's ahead of him in the championship race. But he'd averaged fifty points a game and scored more points and had more rebounds, and and so I I have Chamberlain, but I think. I think that when you get to that point for me is when you can start talking about how, you know, I'm never, I'm not going to take LeBron over, I'm not going to take LeBron over any of these guys, but I think you can, you can at least make an argument at these points. And then you've got Magic, um, still more championships, um, more, yeah, more championships, led more, led more teams to champion, more championships, same with Bird and same with Duncan. And those three guys all played with other Hall of Famers, but they were the clear-cut best player on their team during those championships. And I think you could even say during all those championships. Maybe Magic's rookie year, you could point to Jabbar. But uh, for the most part, for the most part, I think I think for, for all three of those guys, you could say, look, they were their be- the best player on their team for that championship. Maybe Duncan's last championship, you would say that he wasn't. Um, you'd point at Kawhi or Parker. Uh, but but Tim was the reason that that those Spurs teams really went and again five's a lot more than three and it's not like LeBron hasn't played with great players Dwayne Wade's probably the fourth best shooting guard in the history of the league and uh, Chris Bosh is going to it sounds crazy but when Chris Bosh's career is over he's gonna be known as one of the best ten power forwards in the history of the league he's gonna make who knows how many all-star I mean you think he's made something like 11 or 12 all-star games already uh Kyrie Irving's a great point guard and one of the best scorers in the league and Kevin Love was a top 10 NBA player before he started playing with LeBron and and like 
Chris Bosch, the system has made both Love and uh, Bosch when LeBron was with the Heat more irrelevant. And so, you know, you can say whatever you want about that, but he's he's played with really good players. He's he's basically he put this team together. You know, he he was the GM of this team basically. He even he even decided the coach. And so you've got to give him credit for that too. Um, but in my book, he's right now about eighth all time. Uh, I don't see if if you're going to argue that he's the best ever. I just kind of put my hands in the air and go, okay, good. You know, you can say that, but I I don't think that's a I don't think that's a smart basketball uh, thing to say. I think uh, after, like I said, after four or five or after three or four, you can start having a more more of a conversation now, though. And I don't think before the series you could. I think you could point to two championships, and that's just not enough to get into that sort of pantheon, that sort of conversation. The other thing that's working for him is as the next few years go by and as he adds up more career longevity type statistics, he's going to com- he's going to have a chance to really go after the Jabbar and Malone scoring uh, region, right? Not Nobody's gotten close. You've got Jabbar and Malone in that 36-37 area. No one's even close to that. LeBron can get there if he stays healthy and is able to keep going. He's going to get there in, in other things, too. He's going to ma- play in the most all-star games and, and those types of things. And when you look at it at the end... He's got a chance to really get there, in my opinion, to the number two spot. The only way he can get to Jordan, I think he probably has to reel off about another... He has to reel off at least two more championships. I can't take somebody who's won six and say that somebody who's won four is better than them. If he wins five, I think you can probably make a case at that point. Um, that, that, for me, would be close enough. So... Um, Again, to to Leon, I've taken a long time to to sort of try to answer your question. Um, It's not, I'm kind of nervous you'll call me a hater or whatever afterwards. I'm just telling you what I see. Again, I was rooting for the guy. I'd love to see him go be the best player ever. Um, I'll never forget at the end of game six against the Spurs in the first championship that they played against them. When LeBron throws the ball away two times, two plays in the in a row, uh, and misses shots at the end of the game while Tony Parker went crazy, and it looked like the game was over, and if it wasn't for a Chris Bosh, a couple Chris Bosh rebounds and a three pointer by Ray Allen, you know it would have the whole Miami experiment could have just been terrible. I guess they still would have had one championship, but. Not one, not two. I mean, they were really fortunate to get to. Really fortunate. And it wasn't because of his clutchness. The clutch, I watched those Stockton Malone versus Jordan Pippen finals. Jordan was the clutchest guy I've ever seen. He killed us at the end of every game. That's not how LeBron works. And that doesn't mean that he's bad. You know, I, that's why I've always said I think he's more magic than he is Michael. Um, he's the guy who passes it to the guy. Uh, and But, you know, again, you look at Game 7, and 
at the beginning of the third quarter, it looked like the Warriors were really ready to run away. And it's J.R. Smith hitting three straight important shots to keep them in the game. And, like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to convey that. I think it was very fortunate that, that Cleveland was able to stay in it with that. Now, granted, they played great defense. But I can't, I mean, game seven, that's not how the Jordan scripts went. Jordan didn't need a guy to hit three straight shots in a game seven in the, to win his most important finals. Do you, see, do you see what I'm saying? Like those two things, they're not comparable. They're not. And so, anyway, that's that's kind of what I what I'm what I'm saying. I I'm, I don't think in black and white in those ways. I just I think it's good to be to kind of go into it with your eyes open and not just listen to the narrative, but just to kind of develop your own opinion. And that's that's where I'm at. I think LeBron's the eighth best player ever as as currently constituted, and given how many other more seasons that he has. Who knows how good that guy can be? Maybe he can climb all the way up to number two, and uh, maybe even to number one. And if he gets there, I'll be happy to to congratulate him on that. I just don't think he's there yet. Um. So I've talked about kind of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to in terms of LeBron. I want to just say that in terms of the hobby and how this series affected the hobby, I actually think it's awesome. I was really worried last week about where where that or how this was going to affect the hobby because Steph wasn't doing well and I just didn't I didn't see any real positive things coming from it but I do see some now I think obviously LeBron people are looking at his his vintage I'm saying his vintage stuff his rookie stuff uh they're looking at they're remembering you know hey this guy is the best in the world and it was staggering how good he was next to Steph. I like Steph as a person so much more than I like LeBron. But when they are on the court together, you see the different things that they do. It's almost hard to imagine that we thought that Steph was so much better. It, we just all just did a complete 180. In the course of a week, we decided, oh yeah, it's not Steph anymore. It's LeBron. Because we all remembered how good he could be. And part of that is that Steph was not his best. He wasn't it wasn't just as not his best; it was the worst we've seen him, and a lot of that has to do with Cleveland's defense. So you got to give him credit for that. The other person, though, is Kyrie. Again, Kyrie is the one who had to hit that three-pointer. LeBron had his two free throws and a three-pointer, and I believe an, a drive in the fourth quarter. But he missed; he missed a bunch of jumpers, and he just looked scared to go to the hole. Uh, when he went to the hole, good things happened. He had one that they maybe could have called a foul on where Golden State got a hand, and I've always understood hand to be part of the ball, but that was a weird that was a weird position that he was hit. The foul probably was the right call there, but they were letting him play, and you can kind of respect that in the finals. Um, but but for besides that play, it felt like good things happened when LeBron went to the hoop. Early in the game, it seemed like he kept going to the hoop and kicking it out and, and, and that, that I think that was the source of three or four of his five turnovers um, so anyway he what he needed though is he needed Kyrie to have that moment and he did you know it wouldn't have gotten to that moment if, if LeBron wouldn't have had that incredible block the block that's what we'll, we'll remember it as the block 
he wouldn't have had that on on Iguodala. Um, and so I think, you know, as you look at the hobby right now, and as you, if you're somebody who looks at high end stuff, the question that I think is a really good question to ask is, why would Kyrie Irving's rookie card, best rookie card, his National Treasures, um, his best other than uh, other than flawless, of course, um, his best mainstream is worth about $800 to $1,100. Whereas, Carl Anthony Towns is closer to $3,000. And Andrew Wiggins is $2,500. Towns and the Wiggins are both to $99, and Irving's to $199. But how can that be right? So, it's pushing people towards Kyrie a little bit, which I think is good. I think it's also good for everybody to step back off of the Golden State stuff. We knew that would happen. I noticed a few of the Curry tops dropped under $100, which I thought was funny. Um, that's something we've been talking about for a while. But that card has actually stayed a lot stronger than I would have than I would have given it credit for. I, it, it seems that its true value is going to be a lot higher than, uh, than I thought that it would be. I digress. Anyway, um, I think I think it was good. I think it was great for the hobby. I think people are looking back at their LeBron tops rookies now and, and seeing, you know, deciding, is that what I want to be into? Would I rather collect the, the, the base stuff or do I want to get into the, or do I want to go with the high end, the autographs and the patch autographs and stuff like that? I think it's a good question. What, what do you want to collect? Some of us have gotten away from the fun of the, the regular rookie card. It's neat to see the Steph tops and the LeBron tops kind of take off a little bit. Um, I think we're probably going to see more of that. I think some people are really scaling back a little. I really just I really like the high end stuff. I'm not going to go towards towards that other uh, towards the more base, but I I like that people are getting more into it. I'd like to think that by doing that, maybe we'll, we can draw in some more new blood. That's what we're. That's what we want, right? That's the purpose of the podcast, and that's the purpose of um, what we're trying to do with the blog and stuff. Is I wanna, I want more people to be part of the hobby. I want people to understand how cool it is to own kind of a piece of history in your hands, to have stock in a player in the form of cardboard, uh, fabric, and ink, and um, to to be able to kind of have more of an interest tied to a game that's not just a financial interest but it's something that you own something that you can hold and you can touch and you can say you know this is my guy this is my collection and uh, it's one of the really great things about the hobby and I, that's that's the direction that I want it to go um, and so hopefully this newfound interest in the base rookie card will do that a little bit and uh, that doesn't affect I, I don't think that affects uh, the other levels of the hobby too. Um, I uh, I want to take just a second to talk about the draft. It's on Thursday. Uh, we've got um, it's on ESPN, I believe. At uh, I don't know I don't know the time exactly. I think it's seven p.m. Eastern time. But uh, the Sixers have said that they will be taking Ben Simmons first which means that Brandon Ingram will go second to the Lakers, and then at that point, everything goes in a different direction. At three, uh, the Celtics have been rumored to trade, uh, to be looking to trade their their, their pick. They Celtics just have 
a, an inordinate number of draft picks, and they're hoping to move some of them for a more of a proven player. The Celtics are in a funny spot because they're really good already. They've got a great coach. They've got a bunch of guys who are on good deals. They don't have anything that resembles a superstar. And they have the number three pick in the draft, which is a great asset to have if you're already a pretty good team. Most teams don't get the number three pick by um, being good. And so they're fortunate they were able to make that deal with the Nets uh, going back a couple of years, the Garnett-Pierce deal. Um, and then at that point, everything really falls apart. I think what's interesting, though, is from three to eight, there are there's a lot of talent in that region. And people are really high on everyone in that group. But it seems like it seems like it, I just have no idea what order it could go in. It feels like the most, um, the, the, the guy who most people are high on in that region is, uh, is Dragon Bender. Um, I'm not sure that, that that's the way that, that the Celtics should go, though, although I think the Celtics need help at the big positions more than they do in the backcourt. Um, I think there's still a hope that they maybe could get a Kevin Love or somebody else who is who's big and capable um i think i think that at, after that it becomes extremely difficult to try to figure out who who's going to go i think the top eight are barely are fairly set um i would try to name them off the top of my head but i know i would forget one so rather than doing that um I'm just going to skip that. I think there are rumors that the Sixers are very interested in Chris Dunn out of Providence, which makes sense. They need a backcourt guy. They've got all the frontcourt guys in the world, and now that they're taking, now that they're taking um, Ben Simmons at number one, they're going to need some some backcourt guys. I think one one interesting thought that I've heard from several people, who are several several smart people, is the thought that Ben Simmons could play the same role that. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo plays in Milwaukee, where he really does play point guard for the team, and that's especially that could be especially good, considering his lack of a jump shot. So if you put the ball in the hands of a guy who doesn't have a jump shot, somebody can't play off of them, right? Whereas if you put Simmons at the small forward or at the two guard position you can sag off the guy because he doesn't have a great jump shot. So I've heard it said, and I think this is really smart with Simmons, you either have to play him at power forward or you have to play him at point guard. You can't really play him at two or three. Maybe even play him at some small ball five. But since he can't shoot, you need to you need to put him in one of those positions where he, um, where he doesn't have to be able to shoot. And from the point guard position, you don't have to be able to shoot as long as you have the ball in your hands. And especially with how athletic and how long he is, he should be able to should be able to do some things there. I I think that's probably what they should do. Um, either that or put him at four, but if they're going to put him at four, then they probably need to move either Okafor or Noel or both. It sounds like um, it sounds like Embiid is finally healthy. So it's funny, the Sam Hinkie, the fruits of Sam Hinkie's uh, work there feel like they're finally starting to come together and he's not going to be there for it, which is really interesting. I think he'll end up getting a good job somewhere 
uh, another good job somewhere along the line because he's one of the few people who's willing to think outside the box and then actually execute on it. Most of us think out, can think critically outside the box but then never execute on it or can't do it um, when our jobs are on the line. And so uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to think that he'll, he'll get, be given an opportunity to do that. Um, I'm interested to see really what happens after 8, though because starting with nine with Toronto at nine and Milwaukee at 10, everything, it, 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 there's just, there's a whole lot of things that can happen at that point. I think there are literally probably 15 people who could be taken at number nine and being a jazz fan at number 12, I really don't have any idea who they end up with. I think there's a good chance they go big. I think they could go with a point guard and usually at 12, you can pin it down a lot more than that. But the the range, or what what you'd say call it, the tiers in this draft, are so spread out. There's just there. It's just really hard to tell where where guys are going to go. There there are mock so the three mock drafts that are probably the best ones to look at are Chad Ford's ESPN Insider, uh, NBADraft.net, and DraftExpress.com. And there are still guys with two days to go. There are guys that are at 10 on one and at 35 on another one. There are guys that are 20, 25, pick 15, and 15 picks apart throughout the draft. It seems like it's come together a little bit, but for the most part, it's still just very scattered. And so I think it's in it's kind of a beauty in the eye of the, of the beholder draft. Draft the sort, draft the guy that you really want. Um, the the Jazz are in a tough spot because I think you know they'd like to draft a wing or a guard, and I think there's a really good chance that Jakob Pertl falls to him at twelve, and they're really happy with Rudy Gobert. And do they want to take a guy that they know they'll never be able to play with Rudy Gobert? I don't know. I think they I could see them going with Baldwin. I, I, it feels to me like the Raptors are going to go with Sabonis. I feel like Sabonis has caught enough people's attention at this point that he goes there. I think DeJounte Murray and Wade Baldwin are probably the first wings off the board at that point. I think I think it'll be very interesting to see the, the teams like the Suns and the Raptors and the Jazz and the, especially the Celtics and how they are dealt with on draft day because they hold so I think those four teams in particular hold so many of the of the picks again the Celtics the Suns the Jazz and the Raptors hold so many of the cards to the draft basically and so I think they'll have the opportunity to move up and down and make a lot of deals uh, my, uh, I don't want to call him a sleeper, but the guy who I'm interested to see how he where he goes is Torian Prince. He I've seen him as high as 12 on some draft boards and as low as 35. I think the last Chad Ford mock didn't even have him in the first round, uh, and I've seen him go going to the Jazz at well as well at 12. Um, he's a senior and can do a lot of things, and some people are really into him, and some people aren't. I'm interested to see where he goes. I'm interested to see. Where oh oh uh oh man Thon Maker very interested to see where he goes he has a very interesting game very Giannis lots of lots of skills and movements for a guy who's who's bigger who th- th- it almost seems 
not natural. And that sort of player has been very in vogue the last couple of years. And um, some have turned out very well. And then there's the Bruno Cablococo. I don't know how to say his last name. Um, they haven't panned out as well. Uh, he's the guy who was a year away from being a year away. And uh, he still seems like he's years away. Length doesn't necessarily equal good basketball player. Marquise Chris uh, looked to be somebody who who could really be a, a, a looks like a guy who could be a, a player in the league. But the thought on him is is this the, is this guy the next Stromile Swift, and is that relevant in today's day, today's NBA? Stromile Swift was the second pick of the 2000 draft. Would he be good today? How would you know? How would Darius Miles be in today's in today's uh, NBA? The NBA has changed so much. It's interesting for me to see a guy like Pirtle, who had a really good senior year, who uh, was better defensively in his freshman year, uh, couldn't couldn't get into foul trouble his sophomore year. He knew that the team was dead, and so he he played a lot less. Um, he played a lot. He played to, to not foul a lot more. And so, he, but he's a traditional big center, but with very soft hands and a good offensive game. And the guy is falling in the draft because he's not a big-time jump shooter and he's not a big-time ball handler. He's 7'1". He's over 7 feet and tall in shoes. Of course he can't do those things, right? But that's not what people want anymore. And especially after a series where you see LeBron James playing the four and you see Draymond Green playing the four and the five. People want athleticism and they want ball handling and passing skills from all five position, positions. And what traditionally happens year after year after year is people take the data that they have from the prior year, right? This is recency bias. You take that data and then they apply it to what they see that's in front of them. And that's typically a smart way to think, right? But people overthink that. There's so many examples of this. I, I, I don't want to go into all of it because we've already gone way longer than I meant to. But perfect example is in 2001, the, the NBA draft started off with Kwame Brown, Tyson Chandler, Pau Gasol, Eddie Curry. Zagana Jop was the eighth pick that year. And so four of the top eight picks were these high school bigs. And none of them, their, their rookie year, were great. And Gasol, who's number three, was pretty good. And then people saw later in the draft, you had Joe Johnson at 10 and Tony Parker in the late 20s. And, um, you know, there were other guys that were progressing well. And they were like, and so in 2002, people were like, well, I don't want to take a big high school kid. Like, that's trouble, right? So at the number, I think the number nine pick in the 2002 NBA draft, the Phoenix Suns took Amari Stoudemire. After guys like Nikolaus Skidishvili, people were thinking Gasol when they were taking him. After, you know, the great, um, oh, what's his name? Drew Gooden, Mike Dunleavy. Um, this was, you know, it just, it's not, and the reason they did it was very clear. It's because of what had happened the previous year. So when people look at the league right now and they look at the two teams that ended up in the finals, they say, okay, I want players that look like that. Well, just look at one series before that. Steven Adams was really, really darn effective against those Warriors, and those Warriors were very lucky to make it past the Thunder. That was a coin flip series. 
They won one and they lost the other. Um, so is he a traditional center? Yeah, he is. Super tough. Not a great ball handler. <laughs> Not a great shooter. But super tough and does a lot of important things. So, um, and then, you know, on the other side, you look at the Raptors. You know, what did DeMar, what did, uh, DeMar DeRozan do? He's a two-guard who can really light it up, can score. What did Kyle Lowry do? There's, so there's there's a lot of, you know, and people aren't looking for mid-range jumpers like DeMar DeRozan, but what happens when it works? I think I think that there, again, I'm just a big believer in thinking out of the box and not everything is a cookie cutter fit, you know, fits in, in, in into one. Not everyone fits the mold is what I'm trying to say. So anyway, I'm tired. I should stop talking now. Uh, as always, thank you for joining the ba- basketball ca- basketball card podcast this week. Thank you so much for downloading the podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your questions. Um, and uh, you know we've got the off season ahead of us, but this is some of the most fun time to collect to pick stuff up. As you know, a lot of the high-end stuff comes out at this point. So if you have any more questions or anything else you'd like me to talk about, I'd love to hear it. Leon, thank you for your question this week. You're great. And um, until next time, happy collecting.